Okay, well, it's great to be with you uh, this morning. And uh, I'm just so aware that um, these things are very different when they're done on video, but it's really good to be with you. And I do hope the things I'm going to share today are going to encourage you and serve you well. Uh, one of the things that has served me well personally during the pandemic is knowing and believing and affirming who I am as a Christian, knowing God's love and knowing how, what God thinks about me. And I want to look at that today. And I like it because it brings clarity and it brings strength to me. And knowing who I am and whose I am, is, it becomes quite a lot. A lot of my sermons often will reflect that. And I've been thinking a lot about it, particularly since um, there are often good songs that come. But there was one out and I was really enjoying preaching off the back of it or or even hearing it as a response song, which was I am who you say I am. I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say, I am. you know, you are for me, not against me. I think it's great for Christians to sing such things because they're full of truth. And I think the truth of that song mustn't be lost. Or more so, the truth of the Bible and what it says about that mustn't be lost in our lives. And so we're going to we're going to learn today from Jesus. And, and the difference today for me in learning about Jesus is uh, often we learn from the words of Jesus. But today I want to teach from the example of Jesus and how Jesus affirmed who he was. And I, I think we can learn a lot about that and keeping ourselves in the love of God. When we know what God thinks about us, we can live in the love of God. If we got doubts about that, I think we can become uh, a, a bit sort of swayed by, by our emotions and what is going on. But we're going to look at three voices that Jesus heard and learn from his example in dealing with those. So the first one I'm going to read from is Luke chapter three. And it's the baptism of Jesus. And in verse 21 of Luke chapter three, it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized, too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Now, this is this is voice number one for us today. It's the voice of God at Jesus baptism and the, the, the next verse actually I think it's verse 23 it goes on to say and Jesus ministry uh, actually began at that point he was 30 years old and then it goes into the genealogy of Jesus which I'm not going to get into today because what I want to do is make sure I make one big point really out of these particular scriptures so we move on to chapter 4 Luke chapter 4 and Right from the beginning, chapter, uh, verse one, Jesus, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan where he'd been baptized and was led by the spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. No kidding. Um, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God. Tell these stones to become bread. Just notice there the first word words out of the devil's mouth. Are if you are the son of God, having heard from heaven, having heard from his father, the thing that, you know, he all of us as, as God's sons and daughters want to hear, you know, I'm your father. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. And the second voice 
the enemy's voice, it, you know, it comes comes to in the desert. The first one is in the Jordan. The second one is in the desert. And it starts with if you are the son of God. And I want to I want to challenge that and look at that today in how we keep ourselves in the love of God. And we read Jesus answered from Deuteronomy uh, in verse four. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And then we go on to verse nine. And again, the enemy says the same thing to him. The devil led him to Jerusalem is verse nine. Uh, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up on their hands so you will not strike your foot against the stone. And again, he, he comes at Jesus, if you're the son of God, casting, casting some sort of doubt on who Jesus perhaps um, would imagine he is in listening to it. And he says, uh, Jesus says back to him, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I'm not going to look at how Jesus dealt with it as much as to see that this is a principle the enemy uses. That's what I'm going to do. So voice number two comes directly against voice number one. God says, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. That's what God speaks to us. And the enemy comes to say, if you're the son of God, if you're a daughter of God. And I think we, we experience that in our lives where the enemy casts doubt on that. And then we read of Jesus declaring who he is. It says um, in. Uh, it says in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. Um, this is where Jesus grew up. That's why it's called Jesus of Nazareth. And where he did his schooling. This is where he did his apprenticeship. Um, this is where he learned to make mortise antenna joints, I guess, because that's what I did when I was at school. And it's where he flew kites. It's where he played soccer with everybody's kids in, in the streets. He was a real boy growing up. And in verse 16, it says on a Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now, in those days, they didn't have a Bible. They had scrolls. And one was handed to him and it actually picked out the bit that he was going to read. It says to us, I'm rolling it. He found the place in Isaiah where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he's reading this prophetic scripture that has references to the coming Messiah. And he's saying, you know, this is speaking of me. It actually makes it even clearer because it says he rolled up the scroll in verse 26, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to everybody today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am who it says I am. If we could make the song say that he's saying this is speaking of me. And this is a really saying that not only is it truth from the word, this truth points to me. And then we get to the third voice. And let me tell you about the three voices, then we'll look at them together. It, we look at voice number three. And in verse 22, it says this um, from the people in his hometown in Nazareth. Really, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't that Joseph's son? They asked. 
So we can see here three voices. Number one, his voice in the Jordan with his father speaking to him. Number two, the voice of the enemy, the devil, in the wilderness. And then we read this third voice. And this third voice is the voice, I would call it the voice of the world, the, the voice of the people in Nazareth where he lived. And I want to say right from the outset, having looked at those scriptures, that I think these three voices are still speaking today to you and me. And what number one voice does very clearly, it's it's the father's endorsement of Jesus. It, it's it's God's uh, divine endorsement, if we could call it that. You know, it's declaring who he is and whose he is as well. This is my son. And I'm well pleased with him. There's a there's a connection that's made very clear to Jesus. I think like us, we've got to know that in our lives before we reach out to do anything, to be assured of God's great love for us as a son or a daughter of God. He loves us that much. And, you know, when I look at it. You know, when God first spoke this up to this point, in all honesty, what has Jesus done? He hasn't really done it. I mean, he tells us the verses after he's only just starting his ministry. But actually, what has he done up to this point? And I think we can learn something from the fact that Jesus is just about to start his ministry from there. You know, I imagine in this particular passage, like it's uh, God's so excited about seeing his son being obedient in baptism. He just cracks open the sky, which he created anyway. And he just wants to say, look, I'm really pleased. This is my son walking in my ways. And I think at our baptism, you know, maybe the sky didn't crack open for us. Right? But I feel that actually there's the same sense about that. We're becoming sons and daughters of God. We've identified with what Jesus has done. We're being obedient. Father, Father loves obedience when we follow him. You know, I went to uh, an honours um, evening at my daughter's school. And my daughter, Maisie, was getting some awards for drama and math. And she sang the national anthem. And Clara was in the choir. And I sat there. There was about 15, 1,600 people. There was a lot of people. And I was a bit nervous for Maisie that she would sing the national anthem and she'd know all the words and it would all go good for her. Because um, you want it to go well for your kids. And she did a great job. And it was just a really fantastic um, job by her and the orchestra. And um, I wanted to jump up and say, this is my daughter in who I'm well pleased um, and, and point to Clara and Maisie. I didn't do that because when you've got teenagers, <laughs> if I had have done that, they would have disowned me. Right? Let's be clear. They, uh, they don't want their dad jumping up. But I felt a bit like I was thinking, like, they've done a great job and, and uh, they would have been very embarrassed as well. So it's best that I didn't do it. But I, would have, I wanted to endorse them. I said, hey, these are my kids. You know, hey, this is. This is the father who is well pleased here tonight, you know, but actually I didn't because, again, they would pack their bags and leave immediately. But this is divine endorsement of Jesus. And the key point I want to make from this voice to you today is this. Jesus is affirmed by his father. Before he has done anything. And affirmation comes from heaven and our heavenly father and not by our performance. I'm so glad about that. God the Father, he loves us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The gospel starts with God, for God so loved the world. It doesn't start with us in anything that we would do. 
Ephesians 2 makes that very clear to us. Not by works, so none can boast. It's not by anything we've done. It starts with the love of God. Our salvation is rooted in the love of God. God is our father and not our foreman. It doesn't say our foreman who are in heaven and we go through a checklist. I'm a dad. I don't walk around the house with a checklist, you know, checking off things. Hey, you know, I'm dad. I just want to let you know I'm the the foreman in this place. No, we love our kids. We, we, We want to encourage them and bless them. And so we too, if we're not careful, can believe that we're saved by grace. But then we slip into very quickly thinking, but God loves me now because I of what I do. It's my performance that was no, he's a father. Fathers love their kids no matter what. Good, bad and ugly. We are loved by our father. And that's a good father. It's not like you have to attain to something for the father to love you. No, the father loves you because we, you were born into that family and we're born through christ we are we're adopted into god's family i think adoption is even better than being born into a family um i know when clara was growing up she would always tell people you you your mum and dad just got you but my mum and dad oh sorry not clara amy (laughs) they chose me they i don't even know which ones are adopted there's the trouble with six kids and our affirmation this is my main point here our affirmation is from heaven and it's ours in Christ. It's not on our performance. And we need to know the love of God that has been given to us in Christ. We need to know the love of God by the Holy Spirit in our lives before we begin to serve God in any way. You know, it says we are his workmanship created for good works. I love it. That scripture has that sort of flow to it. We are his workmanship. That's how it starts. Created for good works. Well, were they? They're, they're the result of our salvation. They're not the root of our salvation. They're the, they're the fruit of our salvation, not the root of our salvation. We are loved and affirmed by a father. I am who he says I am. That's very important. And I think affirmation from our heavenly father is more important than any other affirmation you can know. I really do. And we're friends with God through Jesus Christ. You know, it says to us, You know, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. We are God's children, loved by him, sons and daughters. Um, So Jesus came not just to deal with our sin, but to restore relationship. And that's that's our joy every day. Restored relationship with God, reconciled. I'm not going to get into the story of me and my dad. Otherwise, I know you know me well. I'll get into that story. The the voice in heaven affirms us and it's got nothing to do with what we have done. It's got everything to do with what Christ has done. We are in Christ. As Christ was uh, crucified, so our sin and our old life was crucified. As, As Christ was buried, so our old life was buried. As Christ was raised again, so we are raised a new life. That is the joy. And that's the joy we were celebrating just back in Easter. So that to me is so good. You know, when I came to Canada, um, I remember getting on the plane and I sat down and this shows how your mind goes. Um, But I sat down and I remember having this great sense. God said to me, was saying to me, I am really pleased with you. Now, this was the day we moved to Canada. And I got on the plane, but I hadn't done anything. And I was reminded that is the sort of father that we're involved with day to day. He loves us because he loves us and he loves us through Christ. Who has done, and through the finished work of Jesus, we are 
truly sons and daughters of the living God. What a joy. How great is that? He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. I like that. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquity. No, he's got that great big love that goes from the east to the west. And if you keep going east, you keep going east. And if you keep going west, you keep going west. You never stop doing that. Good job he never said north and south. And that's because he's God and he's better than us. So all of us were dead in our sins. There's no degrees of deadness. You know, I was brought up in the Elephant Castle in London, uh, not going to church at all. You know, you may have been brought up in a Christian family. It doesn't make any odds. At the end of the day, we're all dead and God raised us up with Christ. And so that means there's no good testimony or a bad testimony. A bank robber's testimony is no better than someone who lived in a Christian home. We're all added into God's family. That's a joy. And we need to know the affirming voice of God uh, coming to us. It broke through the clouds in uh, Jesus' baptism, but it broke through through to us in Jesus dying on a cross, rising again. We are affirmed by the Father. So, listen to this. One of the reasons I really want to look at this, and I'm going to just move on to the other two, is this. The truth is in our lives, we're always listening to voices, all right? Don't worry, the men in the white coats are not going to come and drag you away, all right? But we are always listening to voices in our head. And some people call it self talk. Um, I've got a friend, he only lives around the corner to me, and he's a Christian doctor. And he is involved in cognitive therapy, uh, which means you are what you think. And he helps people get their thinking right so that their lives will go right to it. So actually, the Bible was in this way before he was, because it says in Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, in his heart, so he is. So it's important that we hear God's love for us in our hearts and our minds and know that we are truly loved. And probably the most powerful voice you have in your head is your own voice. And so, you know, sometimes we can be off track with that. I'm such an idiot. Oh, we shouldn't do that. Oh, I've done that again. Um, If only I was bigger. You know, all these sorts of thoughts that come in. But self-talk, you know, can shape the way that we live. But I'm asking the question right from that first voice there, and that's this. What is shaping your self-talk in your life every day? Can you get out of bed every day and say, you know what? I've got a father who loves me. He's for me. And I want to encourage you to listen to the self-talk from heaven as you hear God's word each week. When it's speaking about how God has dealt with his people, he dealt with you that way. You're not unique. We're all sinners saved by grace. And that is the joy of the Christian life. You know, we, we used to be this and now we're this. Why? And we're understanding and aligning our lives up. I think it was J. John, the evangelist, who said uh, he came home and he told his mum he'd become a Christian. And uh, he told all about it. And she said, J. John, you, you've been brainwashed. And he said, mum, if you knew what was in my brain, you'd be glad it got washed. And, and I think that's the truth. When we get the truth and we let the truth come to us. And what we do is we're not being brainwashed. What we're doing is we're lining ourselves up with what the Bible says about us. We're saying if that says that about the people of God, then it's true about me too. And we're saying I'm going to live in the good of what God has said to them. And that's that's what it really means to shape your self-talk. You know, I love you. I've chosen you. You're safe in my arms. 
you know, I'm your father, I'm at work in you, you're my masterpiece. I'm, you know, and then as we get goes, I'll give an example in my own life that comes to me, and that's Psalm 139. I didn't particularly like me growing up. I didn't like the size of my ears. I, there was lots of things. I didn't like my height. But I remember putting Psalm 139 on my mirror and every day getting out of bed and saying, Chris, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knitted you together in your mother's womb. You're unique. And I remember speaking to myself. And, you know, after a while, I began to realize, actually, I'm a, I'm a great guy. I really like me now. OK, um, I really like me now. But I've been learning to live in view of God's mercy. I think that's what I'm talking about today. Living in view of what God thinks about me. Are you living in view of God's mercy and your new identity in Christ? That is what we should be doing. Lining up our thinking with what God says about us. I think it's David who says, uh, how precious concerning me are your thoughts, O Lord. God thinks well of us. I think that's really cool. God thinks good things about us. So this passage is about Jesus' self-identity, I think, a bit. You know, uh, our identity is important. We live out of our identity. I'm, I'm a dad to six kids. Therefore, I live out of that identity. I'm a, I'm a husband to, to Rachel. So therefore, I live as a husband. It affects knowing who I am affects my behavior because our belief affects our behavior. Um, let me move on a bit. You know, one of the things I did want to just underline, and that was, it's not clear in the passage uh, if other people heard this or whether this voice was heard just by Jesus. I mean, it doesn't really tell us. And I read through some commentaries, and guess what? They all say something different. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't really matter. I'll tell you why it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the person it was intended for heard it. That is really important. It's not a marketing strategy, you know, all draw near. This is my son who I love. It wasn't. It was it was needed to for Jesus to affirm who he was. And so that when he would be challenged, are you the son of God? He would know. I've got the affirmation of my father spoken into my life. How great is that? I'm so glad I have the affirmation of my father speaking into me. And I think one of the greatest tools in the Christian life is knowing we're affirmed by God. He is for us. He's not tolerating us. He's not like putting up with us. Oh, man, did I save you? Did I adopt you? No, he doesn't think like that. He knew what he was getting into. He made us uniquely and he loves us completely. And I think that's so important. Um, it doesn't matter what everybody else says. Um, Dad loves and affirms me. That's such a important thing i think that as a father sometimes as well it's important you know when my kids say oh look it's my exams and you know, i was good in everything but french was terrible look at i'm not that worried about whether you're doing well in french i love you anyway you're just great i love what you are. i love your heart and the way you serve people it's what god says about you that counts and so it's what jesus needed to know about himself that mattered so let the voice of heaven shape your identity. All right. So let's go to voice number two. The next voice is the devil's voice. And he comes saying, if you're the son of God, this is the voice from hell. If I might go that far, um, it seeks to attack Jesus in his identity. And if you look at it, um, it's not about what he's doing. We often think, oh, well, God's not very happy in what I'm doing. No, it attacks him in who he actually is. 
And if Satan can undermine our identity, then really, I think he's got us. He's got us in a bad place. Because then we, we're not going to be living out of this love, child of God place. And I think it really is like the center of our being. I'm not, maybe we'd say the core or something right at right our center. If, we, if he gets our identity messed up, then he gets our thinking messed up. And we need to know we're, we're sons of God, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, he comes in a different. You call yourself a Christian? You put your hands up this morning in the worship time. You know, I know you did this week. I know you messed up. You call yourself a Christian. You know, he doesn't speak in the same way as he spoke, you know, to Jesus. But he's, he's undermining. It's like um, that the, he's, he's just undermining. He's, he's gnawing away at the truth that we can live by day by day. You're a rubbish Christian. I know what you're watching on Friday evening on the TV. You shouldn't be watching things like that if you're a real Christian. Are you a real Christian? And he's, he's sowing down. That's what the enemy does. And then we become discouraged and we, we become, you know, disappointed as well, I think. Um, what, what the enemy is trying to do is trying to get Jesus to act independently. As we read the, the things that uh, the enemy was asking Jesus to do, he's like saying, well, forget, forget your father. You know, if you jump off of here, this is going to happen. If you if you bow down to me, this is going to happen. Turn these stones into bread. And this is actually saying you act independently. Jesus on your own. Whereas Jesus knows not to act independently, but to act doing the father's will. He said that right from the beginning of, of his ministry and before, really, when he was at the temple. Hey, don't you know I'd be about my father's business? He knows who he is and he knows who he is. So sin is not always just doing naughty things. Sin is acting independently from God and being Lord of your own life. But we're not. Jesus is Lord of our life. He's our saviour. And so, you know, I just had a thought and I haven't got time to get into it. I was just going to mention about Adam and Eve. That's what got them into the big trouble, I think, isn't it? Is they tried to act independently from God. They tried to take some fruit and, uh, you know, and they... We're told not to do that. No, you know, we're going to know all things. We're going to act independently. Look at the trouble that got into. So uh, sorry, that's not in my notes. We'll move on quick. <laughs> but they wanted to be like God. Um, we are dearly loved children of God, sons and daughters. And we need to remember when it comes to looking at the enemy. The devil is a liar. All right. That is on his resume. If you get a resume from the from the uh, the enemy, it says. Kills, steals and destroys. I mean, that's that's on, that's the top of the top of the, you know, he is a liar from the beginning. You know, <laughs> you do not want this person in your company. If it's a reference, you know, he trickles discouragement into our hearts to make us less think less of ourselves than actually God thinks. of us. I think there's lots of Christians who live like that. They think less of themselves than even God thinks of them. Whereas God loves them. And has proved it, sending Jesus. You know, and that whole thing of saying, you know, well, God doesn't really love me, just tolerates me. No, God loves us in Christ, proved and sealed it with the Holy Spirit in our lives. What a wonderful thing. When we get words like that from the enemy, if we're going to keep that from changing our identity, I think there's three things we need to do in that. Number one, we need to recognize where our thoughts are coming to us from. Secondly, we need to reject it if it's not coming from God. You know, like the one I think I would like to put down. Uh, 
um, put down. Oh, um, you're a rubbish Christian. You know, I know you were watching last week. God doesn't really love you. He just tolerates you. He's such a bad Christian. Listen, I know where that comes from. It doesn't come from my loving Heavenly Father. It comes from the enemy. And I need to recognize it. And I need to reject it. And I don't replace it with the truth. And so that's why it's important to learn God's word and to grow in God's word. It's not like we're trying to notch up points in heaven with how much of the Bible we've read. It's really getting to know God better, to know his love better, to know his character better. And so, you know, I don't have any fears of that in New Life Church. I think you're very well taught. <laughs> and uh, I often check my teaching when I'm going along with Andrew just to make sure. You know, God is saying to us, you know, our future is not defined by our past. You're a new creation. Uh, the old is gone. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And when we know these things inside us, then we can live by them and they can keep us from the enemy. You know, we're knowing that God has got a future for us, you know, plans to, to bless us and to use us. You know, the voice from hell says you're not that important. God loves everybody else but you. No, that's not true. That's a lie from fit. So be shaped or be transformed by the truth that you're learning about God. And you're learning because of what Jesus has done. Um, in my life, I, early life as a Christian, I was really helped by this little pamphlet. All right. Um, excuse me for this, uh, but I'm just going to delve into it. Put my glasses on. This is called Biblical Confessions to Build Your Faith. Now, as a, a young Christian, I already told you I stuck something on the mirror. But I also had this beside my bed. And I'm just going to read it to you and explain why it helped me. Um, let me just say. I'm not just an ordinary man or woman. I'm a son of the living God. I'm not just a person. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'm not just some old sinner. I'm a new creation in Jesus, my Lord. I'm part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'm one of God's people. I'm not under guilt or condemnation. I refuse discouragement because that's not from God. God is the God of all encouragement. There's therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Satan is a liar. I'm not listening to his accusations. Now, this 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 is a big this is a big uh, um, pamphlet that I picked up. And as a young Christian, I've got to be honest with you, I found that was really, really helpful. I, I didn't know scripture that well to find it in the right places, but I would read a chunk of it and then I'd pray it in my own way. And I found what it helped me do is to understand what God thought of me. And it was through that initially that I began to recognize, hey, no, 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 the enemy is a liar. I don't need to listen to what he has to say to me. And I found that really, really helpful um, because um, as a young Christian, I was very insecure as a young Christian. You know, I'm, someone told me early on in my Christian life that, you know, the rapture would come and all the Christians would go. And then I'd have a day where I messed up in some way, maybe I sinned or said the wrong thing to somebody. And I'd go and have to knock on a Christian's door to make sure they were still there. You know, it was just the insecurity of a young Christian, you know, thinking everybody else has been raptured but him. But, you know, that immaturity, you know, in time as we begin to read God's word, as we begin to grow in our relationship with God day by day and along with others, I want to say that, along with others, bring security into our lives. We know those words for ourselves because we've read them for ourselves. And the Holy Spirit can bring them to memory. I'm always, I love that bit. My memory's not that good. But I do love it that the Holy Spirit brings scriptures to memory. Does it when I'm preaching sometimes? Anyway, voice number three. That was voice number two. That's the voice of hell. Voice number three. He spoke at the temple. This is where Jesus spoke at the temple. But that's not one of my voices I'm looking at. 
That's Jesus affirming who he is. I think that's really important when Jesus proclaimed who he was. That's more of an example to us than the point I'm looking at today. I'm looking at how voices come to us and how we should deal with them. And uh, <clears throat> it says to us that everybody spoke well of him at the temple. Uh, this is verse 22. And were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't that Joseph, sir? They asked. This is the voice from the world. All right. It's my last point. Um, this is the voice. From the they couldn't possibly believe that, that the kid who played soccer with their kids and flew kites with their kids in the streets of Nazareth. He must have done that. He's an ordinary boy or worked in a carpenter shop with his dad learning a trade could possibly be the Messiah. You know, you have to remember that where he is. I mean, it even speaks about um, was it, you know, was there any faith in the place? You know, talk about can anything good come out of Nazareth? Um, and their response is very human. You know, they're not looking at him through eyes of, of faith like we are. They were looking at him just as, you know, it says they were impressed by his gracious words, you know, and they say, isn't that Joseph's son? They sort of got caught up in this attractive way of speaking. Oh, didn't he speak nice? And that's Joseph's boy, isn't it? You know, you know, the one who can't do. Look, Agnes, didn't he make some chairs for you for your kitchen? Like, don't, don't, isn't that, that that kid? You know, they, they were sort of. Look at it, say he speaks nice and he, he he's really good. Didn't he put a front door in over Abraham and Sarah's house? You know, he's, he's, they're sort of reducing Jesus. I think that's what they're doing. They're reducing. They're, they're being very polite, but they're not saying this is the Messiah. This is the son of God. And they're missing. They're missing it completely because they couldn't believe that this kid who grew up in their area was really the Messiah. It's. It's a tolerant sort of thing. But what we have to see, I think, as well, is it reduced, tried to reduce Jesus down. Um, my wife doesn't like me using this word because she's a teacher. But the way that they're speaking in it about him smallened him. All right. There isn't such a word as small. And so my wife tells me he's <laughs> uh, a teacher. Um, but it's I think we hear voices around us in the world when we're when we're seeking to move forward in our lives and, and grow, you know, from others who say the same sort of things to us. All right. Please stick with me here because I think it has something to say to us. For me, it was the teacher at school who said to me, hey, Chris, you know what? Don't worry too much about that math today because you're never actually going to amount to anything anyway. And you remember words like that and they smallen you. They reduce you. You know, you know, um, you know, I've dealt as a pastor with so many people who something that was spoken to them in their lives from the world smallened them. And I could immediately say, hey, look, that's not how God thinks about you. I mean, things like you're too fat for people to love you. And that has just changed their lives completely. Like that's all they think about all the time. And you're not smart enough to go any higher in the in the company. You know, you're not smart enough to get that sort of job. You, you just ought to take a lesser one. And it's amazing how words can really affect us in our lives when someone speaks them in. It's much easier to speak them in than get them out, I can tell you. When Jesus speaks in verse 14, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He knows who he is. He knows who he is in God. He knows in his grasp that God's got purposes for him. 
And so for me, those words that were spoken to me when I was at school, and that wasn't the only one I can tell you, um, were they did smaller than me. But, you know, when I became a new creation in Christ, I began to read, didn't really read a lot of school. You know, I've struggled a lot in education over the years. But coming to Christ has changed that area of my life. So I became a, a manager of quite a large company in London and uh, worked my way through the ranks to become the uh, a, a, a manager at their store. And it had lots of people under me, hiring and firing and everything. And I, I think the thing is, is that we need to we need to be careful of words that come to us, not just from the enemy, but from those around us, those who know us. Because I think they could swallow us. These people, are, it's a bit like these people are sort of patting Jesus on the head. <laughs> Joseph's boy, standing up, they're really nice. I mean, they're not, they speak nicely to him. But really, they're smaller than him. Because do you know who's in front of them? Son of God, the Messiah. And they're missing it. Be careful of things that people say to you. Check if they line up with what God says about them. Because it's what God says about you that counts. That's what really matters. That's what we live by. So they politely sort of object to Jesus' claim that he's the Messiah. They, they reduce him or smallen him. And, you know, the world's words can shut you down from being all that you can be in God. Because God's word says to me, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what my teacher was telling me at school. My teacher was saying, well, don't bother, Chris, because you're never going to get this. But in Christ, you know, I've become, it's interesting, things that we couldn't have been and things that we've become. I come from a, you know, a single parent family. You know, I have no fatherly background. In it. I have so many people who, who react to me and, and speak to me and call me as a father. It's a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and God has broken into our lives and we know who we are. We are the loved children of God. So let me ask you to finish that. Have you got words that have been spoken into your life that have made you less than you should be? Have you got words spoken into you in your life that actually God's word challenges? Let God's word challenge them and get prayer and move on in your life. It's amazing. You look through the Bible. There's such a lot of failures who became leaders in the Bible. Very encouraging for people like me. It's great to see that actually what we need today are the words of Jesus. Again, when we're feeling accused, it's the words of Jesus we need. When the enemy comes to accuse us, it's the words of Jesus. Think of that, that woman who was caught in adultery. And Jesus looks up to her, I don't condemn you. Leave your life of sin. That's Jesus. That's his words. Everybody else was condemning. Have you got words that sow doubt into your life? Are you going to listen to the Father's voice from heaven most? I suppose could be a question I want to ask today. The unconditional love from God spoken to you from God's word and in preaching often, letting the Holy Spirit really get something into you. And uh, you know, um, you know, people who um, discourage you. You know the. The enemy often comes and he, he wants to catch you in your sin and sort of rub it in a bit. Whereas what we need to be doing is not letting the enemy rub it in. What we need to do is turn to Jesus and let him rub it out. 
let it be gone because that's why Jesus came. And we need to recognize, reject and replace words that are not true. Because when we hear things like, what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God? In 1 John 3 verse 1. Afterwards, it says this, and this really applies to what I'm sharing. And that is what you are. Let me read it again. What manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God? That would stand as a statement in itself. But it says that is what you are. I think God had people in mind like us when he wrote that in his word because he wants us to get it. We are loved children of God. We need to line ourselves up, you know, so I'm, I'm able to say to myself, Chris, you're reconciled to God. Chris, you're heard in heaven when you pray. All right. You know, Chris, you're gifted. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're made new. You're forgiven. You're adopted. You're loved, rewarded, victorious in Christ, uh, a saint. All right. You are blessed. You're saved. You're God's sons and daughters. You're valued. You're God's masterpiece. If we get our minds on that enough, when stuff comes along, we're going to realize, you know what? No, actually, I know who I am. Just going to finish with this. What voice are you listening to? The voice from heaven affirming you? The voice from hell seeking to discourage you and diminish you and rob you and steal from you? Or the voice of the world smallening you? Let's be like Jesus. Let's not just hear from the Father. Let's affirm it because we have an example of Jesus affirming who he is right there in the middle of our passage. And so it's what God says that really counts. And it's what the Father says that really counts. Let those words from God shape you. And that's all I've got to share this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you think well of us because we are in Christ. We thank you that once we were far from you and now you've drawn us close. We thank you once we weren't sons and daughters of God, but you love us as sons and daughters. We thank you that nothing in us endeared us to you, but you loved us anyway. We thank you the gospel starts with God so loved the world, not what did you do and what have you achieved. We thank you, Lord, that your love is proved to us in Jesus on the cross. We thank you being in Christ meant when he died, our sin died, our old life died. When it was buried, our old life was buried too. And now we're raised to new life. Father, I pray, may we please you as we live this life out, aware of your mercy, living in view of your mercy, living in view of how you think about us and what you say about us. So, Lord, I pray, let your let your love uh, come afresh into our hearts. Lord, help us to examine today if we've allowed words that are not from you to be retained in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, I pray you would help us to uh, uh, to reject those words and receive words of life and love from you on a daily basis. Lord, I thank you for those who met with me in a small group and still do today, people who do, and, and encourage me in the word of God and help me to pray and, and walk alongside me. Thank you for the brilliant idea of the body of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray we'd be good at helping one another to live out this Christian life that you've given to us in joy and in favour with you every day of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.